growing up as a child, life was very hard. And many other times that if we didn't have food, then we would go to scavenge in the, in the dumping sites. I didn't have food the day before, neither the other day before. I only knew that I was hungry and I needed food. As a child, I grew up with a lot of hopelessness and I knew that death was the best thing for me. At the age of seven, I lost three family members. I lost my mom and I lost my stepdad. I lost my small brother, Patrick, because of the terrifying disease of HIV AIDS. In the middle of prostitution. Feeling so helpless. Poverty made me feel less valued. It made me feel not loved. It made me feel uh, less of a human. Because it's so hard when you have not eaten dinner and knowing you'll not have lunch and you're not assured for dinner the following day, it's just feeling very helpless, like things are not gonna be better. I lost four of my siblings due to preventable diseases. Uh, three of them died before the age of five. My sister, we were sleeping with her in the same bed and she, she had died. Things changed later when I joined the program. When I started attending the Compassion Project, I was learning about the Bible, but the most important thing for me was that I was receiving food. I got an opportunity to go to school uh, with a pair of school uniform, with a pair of shoes. My mother heard about a church that worked with children. They're taking care of me, tutors, a pastor, a compassion director. Words are very powerful. My life was changed because someone told me, I believe in you, I love you, and I know you will succeed in life. My sponsor was a college student from Michigan, and in the first letter, she just told me that she wanted to make room for me. My sponsor, he was eight years old when I was nine, so he was one year younger than me. One decision to make room for one more changed my life. Saved my life. Saved my life. Will you make room for a child that needs you? Will you make room for one more? It's up to you. My name is Rafael. My name is David. My life was changed by a 26-year-old college student. Her name is Joan. Gail and Roger. Her name is Jamie. My sponsor made room for one more. And that one more. And that one more was me. Was me. Sponsor a child through compassion today. Release a child from poverty in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
powerful thing that God is doing in so many lives. Let's pray as we open up his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you today. Lord, we're, we're grateful for the stories we just heard. Lord, we're grateful for the time that we have together. Father, most of all, we're grateful for what this day represents, for the resurrection story, for the reality that it has in our lives. So, Father, I just pray as we open up your word that you would speak to us, that you would guide us, that you would show us what our next steps are, whether it's sponsoring a child or, or simply growing in our own faith, taking a step, asking a question. God, allow us to do that in your name. Amen. Well, uh, shortly after I graduated uh, college, I found myself in a situation I never thought I would be in. I found myself coaching a five- and six-year-old soccer team. I'm not quite sure how it happened. Uh, the church I was working at had its own uh, league, and I think they kind of guilted me into it. They said, you know, if you don't coach, 10 kids will be sad or something like that, uh, which seemed manipulative, but it worked. Um, and I don't play soccer. I don't uh, know how to coach soccer. I don't really like soccer all that much. Um, and unfortunately, the kids were in pretty much the same boat, and we were terrible. We played, I think, eight games that year. Um, and the first seven games, we didn't score a single goal. Like, it was, it was miserable. We were just getting crushed. And you know how sometimes, uh, maybe you've had this in your life or, or with your own kids, where like a kid would go to their parents and be like, I want to go home, I'm not having fun. That was me. Like, I was so miserable. Like, someone just take me home. Um, and so we were terrible. Fi and the last game finally came. It was, it was mercy that, that we got to the last week of the season. We were playing the best team, and we were the worst team. And two minutes into that game, I don't know what happened. Our kids, I think, were just excited the season was going to be over. We scored our first goal of the season, and we went crazy. Like, you would have thought we won the World Cup. You know, I was running around, and kids were screaming, and parents were, were cheering. And I, I went up to the kid who scored, and I asked him, do you believe in miracles? And he didn't get the reference. <laughs> it was great. And then we lost 5-1. to one. But it didn't matter. Scoring that goal, that was victory enough for us. All that to say, if your kids need a soccer coach, ask Pastor Sterling. Uh, don't ask me. <laughs> Today, though, as we celebrate Easter Saturday, as, as Easter Sunday is coming, I want to talk to you about unlikely victories. Unlikely victories. If you're a guest with us today, uh, or if it's been a while since you've been here, for the past several months as a church, we've been in a series we've called Following the King. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark and looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus. That shows us this, this uh, person of Jesus, of, of who he is, of what he accomplished in his life, and what he cares about most. We've done this really for one main reason, to consider in our own lives today what it looks like to follow the king. To ask ourselves, if Jesus is our king, if he is our savior, if he is our Lord, then what does it look like to live in his kingdom? So if you've been following along with us, last week we left things with Jesus' death on the cross. This moment of darkness and yet also of victory. As Jesus fulfills his purpose, as he pays the penalty of sin, this moment where God's love and his justice and his holiness all come together on our behalf. That brings us to today, as we follow his disciples to the empty tomb, and we see an even more unlikely victory than that incredible goal. Another do-you-believe-in-miracles moment, a moment that has changed the course of history more than perhaps any other event, the resurrection of Jesus. 
So today as we explore this, if you have a Bible with you, turn with me to Mark chapter 16 as we explore this together. As we see in this story, three invitations. Three invitations made to us to reveal the hope and the power and the promise of the Easter story. So the first one that we see is an invitation to ask. An invitation to ask. Again, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 16. We'll put the words up on the screen as well. It says this in verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. That's Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. If you were here a couple of, of weeks ago, I mentioned that my wife, uh, Judy, and I are, are recent homeowners. We moved into our house in St. Charles uh, last year, and I talked about how difficult it was for us when we moved. We were offered this piano, and we, didn't, we don't play the piano. We don't want to play the piano, but we took the piano for some reason. I'm still not sure why. Um, and we talked about how it has kind of just sat there. It's been this big musical shelf for our son's toys. It's been great. Um, well, I have an important update from the Scavato house. The piano has been played. It's very exciting. We were hanging out. I decided to see how much I remember from my piano lessons as a kid. The answer is nothing. Uh, it's, it's tough. <laughs> but playing it, we realized that not only does this thing take up a bunch of space, uh, it sounds terrible. It is, it's out of tune, and the keys stick together. It's just in really bad shape. And so now we're stuck with this immovable object, something that we don't really want, but we also don't know what to do with. So if anyone wants a really great piano, give us a call. This, though, is what the disciples experienced that morning, an immovable object, something that they didn't know what to do with. And this is so interesting with me. Look at this with me, that the resurrection story begins in darkness and in doubt. The resurrection story begins in darkness, physical darkness, as we see that the sun had risen. More accurately, that that it would be right at sunrise. The sun was just creeping up. The darkness was just rolling away. It was just becoming light, physical darkness. More than that, it begins with spiritual and emotional darkness. That these women that we're talking about, that we're looking at today, these women were feeling something that maybe some of us have felt before too. Confusion, doubt, darkness. That their hope, their, their teacher, their leader, the one who they believed in, suddenly was gone. Quickly, some of you have heard this before, uh, but it's something that that most of us read about. We see this in our 21st century lens, and we skip right past it. But in the first century, this would have been shocking, that Mark's primary witnesses, the first people to see the empty tomb, the first people to declare that Jesus was risen, were women. This was a cultural thing that to us probably sounds archaic and, and outdated, because it is. But in that time, the testimony of women was considered less trustworthy. Than men. In fact, in legal settings, they weren't allowed to serve as witnesses. So this would have made no sense to those reading this for the first time. In fact, there were early skeptics of Christianity who doubted this account because the eyewitnesses were women. And so it's fascinating that here, in the event that our entire faith is based on, God chooses this group with this message. He chooses this group not Peter or John or the other male disciples. 
Not the religious or political leaders, those with power and influence. This group. A group that Mark mentions not just here, but we also see them twice in Mark chapter 15 in verse 40 and verse 47. We see that they witness Jesus' death and also his burial. And so this is Mark citing his sources, telling people who are reading these accounts for the first time, I'm not making this up. I have witnesses. Go ask them. You can trust what they say. Try to picture this with me. Try to imagine what what must be going on in their minds. We're told in verse 1 that the Sabbath had passed. And many of you know this. The Sabbath is this day of rest that began on Friday evening and went through Sunday evening. A full day where no work was allowed for the Jewish people. A day that had begun just a few hours after Jesus' death on Friday afternoon. And so again, try if you can to imagine what must have been going through their minds. Imagine the fear. Imagine the confusion. Imagine the anger that this wasn't supposed to happen this way. This wasn't supposed to be like this. Everything had been going according to their plan. Jesus had just entered the city just a few days ago to adoring crowds, cheering his name. He was supposed to be the Messiah, the Savior, the one who was going to give hope and victory and freedom. He was going to restore us back to power. This wasn't supposed to happen. He was supposed to be the light of the world. And instead, they are just left in darkness and in doubt. I think it matters that this is where the resurrection story begins. I think it matters that we don't go too quickly from Good Friday to Easter Sunday. Appropriate that even as we gather here on a Saturday evening, that we remember the darkness and the doubt that was felt that day. Darkness marked by silence, grief, confusion. Darkness that says, I thought I knew who this Jesus was. I thought I had my life figured out. I thought I had a plan. Everything was working. And now everything is gone. I think it matters that this is how Easter morning begins because some of us know what that darkness feels like, don't we? Some of us need to be reminded that those things are welcome in the Easter story. That we are invited to bring those questions to the empty tomb. Mark tells us that as soon as the Sabbath ended, this group of women brought spices to the tomb to anoint Jesus. This was a a cultural thing, part of the burial process done to both honor the deceased and to offset the smell of decay, something that they weren't allowed to do on the Sabbath itself. And so on the way, they ask this question. It's a really interesting question. Look at verse 3. Who's going to move this stone from the entrance of the tomb? Who's going to do it? Again, this is a a part of the culture where they would take these massive boulders, some of them weighing over a ton, and they would put them in front of the tomb to protect the body from robbers or from animals. And and what they would do is they would dig kind of like a groove into the, the, the ground in front of the tomb's entrance, and they would roll the stone into the groove. And so as difficult as it was to get it there, it would be even more difficult to get it out. So this is a really good question. Who's going to do it? Will we have the strength to do it ourselves? Will the, will the guards do it for us? Will any other disciples be there? What's going to happen? How are we going to get to Jesus? And then verse 4, we see this simple phrase. And this is the hope of the resurrection story right here. At the stone was already rolled back. 
This is so important. Don't miss this. That this right here is the story of the gospel. The story of God moving barriers, of God rolling stones, of his power and his glory displayed so that his people can come and see what the women saw that day. This is the gospel that just like in our living room, that we all have something that is immovable in our lives. We all have a barrier. We all have something that is the result of sin and brokenness in the world and in our lives. And yet this is the hope that we have, that there is nothing too big for God to move away. There is no barrier. There is no stone that is too great for him to move. That even when we are not worthy or when we don't have the strength, that he made a way to get us to that empty tomb, to see the glory of Easter Sunday. He moved the stone. Not so that Jesus could get out. He didn't need the help. No, why? He moved the stone so that we could get in, so that we could see that even in our silence and in our confusion and in our doubt, that death was no match for him that the grave couldn't hold him, that darkness couldn't cover him. And today he invites you to put your trust and your faith in him, to say, no longer is my hope based on my own ability, my own strength, my own whatever it is. I'm putting my trust in him. That brings us to our second invitation, an invitation to follow, an invitation to follow. Um, I've shared before how uh, one of the things that Judy and I enjoy watching the most are those home improvement shows on TV. Anybody watch those? Uh, they're all pretty much the same. Uh, they take these rundown homes, and in 30 minutes, they make them beautiful. It's super fun. Um, I watch these shows very differently now, now that I'm a homeowner. Um, I used to enjoy them more. Now I'm just worried about all the things that I have to do. Um, and so we watch these, and they redo an entire kitchen in like five minutes. And meanwhile, I've had to buy a new furnace filter on my to-do list for like a month. I just keep forgetting. Um, but the best part of those shows is the end, isn't it? Where they, they show you the before and after. They show you the, the transformation that takes place in these homes, where before everything was kind of gross and falling apart, and, and now things are brand new and beautiful and clean. And you think, that could be us one day. It won't, Sorry. But this is what we see in this next part of the text. Read with me these next couple of verses in Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 5. It says, And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. He said to them, Do not be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. See the place where they him. We see this young man dressed in white. That's uh, how oftentimes scripture refers to angelic presences. In fact, in the other gospels, it confirms that this was an angel that they were talking to that day that says these words, you seek Jesus. He is not here. Think back with me uh, to the beginning of Jesus' life, the Christmas story. I know it's Easter. Think just for a moment about Christmas and note all the similarities that we see in these two stories. Do you remember the angels that day? The announcement made to this group of shepherds, this unlikely group of people, people considered unimportant and not trustworthy, just like the group of women that we see here. Do you remember what the angel told them? Do not be afraid, just as we see here. Do not be alarmed. This word alarmed meaning overwhelmed with fear. Do not be afraid. Then what did he tell them? For I bring good news of great joy. For all people. 
good news, great joy, all people. This is what we see here. This proclamation of good news fully realized. This declaration that he is not here, that he is risen. Do not be afraid. He has done exactly what he said he was going to do. They ignored that advice, of course. They were terrified. (laughs) They said, we're going to stay afraid. Thank you very much. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't all of us? Again, this is something that is so unexpected, so unique in this story, that the doubt of these disciples is documented for everybody to see. If today you find yourself skeptical, skeptical, unsure, doubting if this really happened, you're in good company. In fact, we're told that the other disciples did not believe it when Mary told them what had happened. There's a pastor named Andy Stanley. I love how he puts this. He says that nobody was expecting no body. That's a pastor joke. They did not come to the tomb expecting a resurrection. They came prepared for a funeral. They brought these things. This was only something that you would bring when you were expecting a body. And they walk into a celebration. One of the things that, uh, that skeptics of Christianity have struggled to explain uh, is the same thing that we love about those TV shows so much. The transformation that took place, the transformation particularly in the life of Jesus' first followers. Now imagine for just a moment what you would say if the next time you saw me, I had put on 20 pounds of muscle, my skin is glowing, fresh haircut, everything looks great. Now don't worry, that's not gonna happen, so just imagine. But what would you say? You'd say, what happened? What got into you? What changed that caused this transformation? You'd want an explanation to to know my motivation, what caused the shift in how I was living my life. This is the question that we must ask of the disciples. What happened? What changed? What got into them? We've seen this if you've been following in our Mark series, but, but the disciples over and over again would make promises to Jesus and they would always fail to keep them. They would say, Jesus, we'll never betray you. We'll never leave you. We'll never abandon you. And every time, fear overcomes them to the point that they don't even believe Mary when she gives them this news, to the point that only two of them went to even check for themselves. What happened? What happened were these same people, this group of terrified and overwhelmed and an ordinary group, are completely transformed in the way that they live their lives. What happened where this group becomes radically courageous, completely unafraid of what would happen to them, preaching to thousands, performing miracles, willing, as we see in 11 out of the 12 disciples, to die for their belief in what this angel just said, that he is risen. How does this happen? How does this happen when we have record of dozens of people who claim to be the Messiah, and every time their death also meant the end of their movement? What happened that this one not only didn't end, but exploded? into a global movement, something that changed the course of history. What happened? That these disciples were unleashed, unafraid, unstoppable, almost immediately after they were undone. There's only one thing that makes sense. 
There's only one thing that answers this question that explains this transformation, that Jesus is risen. That he conquered the grave, that he defeated death, that the war of good and evil has already been won, even as we continue to fight our battles today. Christianity is unique in the fact that it is built on a specific event. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, starting in verse verse, uh, 14. Paul says this, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In other words, he's saying that if this isn't true, we're all wasting our time. And if it is true, then Jesus is the only one, the only person worth following. That we must take seriously what he says and his commands that he gives us to make him our king. There's another Andy Stanley quote that I love. He says, if somebody predicts their own death and resurrection and pulls it off, we should go with whatever that person says. This is the power of the Easter story. That the one who proved himself worthy to be our king invites you into that kingdom. And not just as a servant, but as a friend, as a co-heir, as a conqueror with him. This is what you're invited to today. The same thing that we see in verse 6, the angels say. To come and see for yourself. See the place where he laid. That's what the angels said that day. Come and see for yourself. The resurrection demands a response. It's either true or it isn't. If it isn't, we're all wasting our Saturday evening. But if it is, then this is the most important moment in history. This is the invitation that we have been given. Will we follow the king? Brings us to our final invitation. Uh, An invitation to see. An invitation to see. Let me read the last two verses of this. Verse 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is how Mark ends this account, with these women running away, trembling in astonishment and fear, equal parts thrilled and terrified. It's the feeling I felt right around this time a year ago when, when Judy told me that she thought she was pregnant. I remember that moment in particular. We were, we were hanging out with our, our small group, and she came up to me. She had this kind of strange smile, and, and she asked if I would go with her uh, to our car to put her coat there. And I think my exact words were, that's not a two-person job. <laughs> She's so lucky to have me. <laughs> but I agreed finally, and, and as we walked, she told me those words. And this is exactly how I felt. Ecstatic, terrified, trembling, astonished, all of it put together. Because I knew what these women knew as well that day. That everything had changed. Nothing was going to be the same. And we see this in verse 7. We see this final invitation that God gives. Let me read this verse again. Go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. 
There you will see him just as he told you. Did you catch that? Tell his disciples and Peter. Why would he say that? Think back if you know this story. Think back to what has just happened in Peter's life. We know this. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that at the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter came to him and he made this promise that, that Jesus, I will never leave you. Even if everybody else does, I will die for you. You can count on me. Then what happened? Peter betrayed him three times. He broke down, weeping in shame and despair. This is where Peter is at in his life. In his lowest moment, broken, filled with regret. Tell the disciples and Peter. It's so important that we see this. This is, this is so crucial for each one of us today. That right here, Jesus, through this messenger angel, was singling Peter out, not to exclude him from the group, not to summon him for a, a stern talking to, not to make him feel bad, not to give him a lecture. No, this is Jesus saying, Peter, I know what you've done, and I know how you feel. I know you've messed up, and I am not letting you get away. This is the Easter story, that Jesus says, you are not too far gone, and I am not going to allow you to think that you are disqualified from my love and my grace and my mercy. This is the beauty of the resurrection. That even though the weight of our sin and our brokenness and our mistakes was enough to hold him on that cross, it was not enough to keep him in that grave. The penalty has already been paid. We don't have to pay him back. This is the invitation that we have been given. An invitation into grace, forgiveness, and mercy. That today, Jesus, the resurrected king, the one that has the power to roll the stone away, sees you as you are, knows everything about you, and he calls you by name. He says, tell them to come see me. I invite them to meet with me. Tell them they're loved. Tell them they belong. This is what Peter experienced. Those of you that know the story, you know this, that he experienced restoration, he experienced love, and, and he and his friends and, and these fellow disciples, a bunch of scared and ordinary people, changed the world. This is what we are invited to as well. And so maybe today, it's time for you to respond to that invitation. The stone is rolled back. The king is risen. Come and follow him. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you now. We're, we are grateful that you call us by name, even in this moment. Father, as we think about the Easter story, would you allow us, would you help us, would you remind us that it is not just a story that, that happened or, or didn't happen, but God, it has everyday implications for us. Lord, right now I ask that you would be with those that are living in darkness, living in confusion, living in doubt, unsure of where you are or if you're even there in the first place. God, would you reveal yourself? 
Do you allow us to worship you now, to seek you now, and to follow you? We pray this in your name. Amen.